Hi, everyone. Welcome to season two of the Don't Tell Me What to Do podcast. Today, we are diving into the topic of people management. A manager can really make or break how you feel for so much of your day, yet some of the things we're taught about management are so antiquated. And this is a topic I'm really personally so passionate about as a people manager and love talking about new ways to think how we interact and run our teams. So today, I have Derek Gillette, who is the VP of Marketing at Leader. Leader is a company that is a new kind of people management software, and they really focus on helping companies grow leaders. So I thought Derek could be a great person to come and talk about the philosophy of how that company is approaching people management, but he also has a really interesting story of his own and is a people manager. So we have lots to dig into. So welcome to the podcast, Derek. Hi, Jory. And I was I was reflecting back on the first time we met and like how we even got connected. And so it's like I'm hoping we get to talk about that um, on this because I think it's a it's a really it's a fun story and it really speaks kind of to kudos to you uh, for being a person who just values connecting with others uh, and sharing your advice and sharing your wisdom. So if we touch on that, I, you're one of the people that was early on, on in my journey who took a chance to sit down with me and offer advice. Uh, so if we get to that, awesome. If not, I just wanted to publicly thank you before we got started. Well, thank you. Yeah. Why don't you tell the story? <laughs> okay. Here's how I remember it. Um, it was a long time ago. Well, I find as I get older in life, especially the way I remember things is different than how other people remember. But hey, I'm the one talking, so we're going to go with my version of the story. Um, so I remember, man, I was uh, in operations management, and, and then I had been able to make a transition into some really entry-level kind of marketing slash sales roles. Uh, but I saw that there was like a better way to do marketing, and there was like this tech boom that was happening where you could do content marketing and it could be digital. And I just had absolutely no idea what it was, but I was fascinated by it. Uh, and so I just began to kind of start blindly reaching out to folks who uh, seemed to know what they were talking about, but also were working for really purpose-driven uh, tech companies. And at the time, I believe you were working for Limeade. Um, and that the, the story of that company about like, I think it was about like culture and improving the health of individual employees in order to improve, again, the organizational health. Um, again, I was so uh, intrigued by that. And you were gracious enough uh, just in a blind reach out, if I remember like a LinkedIn message or something, uh, to sit down and share your advice about how to get into content marketing, uh, how to do it well. Uh, we actually got to meet in person uh, in Bellevue. And I just walked away being like, wow, that was a, that was a really special interaction because you didn't get anything out of it. Uh, but it gave me a lot of uh, direction, a lot of uh, ways that I could go from there. And then we've just managed to stay in touch. And I've just always really valued uh, your perspective and just following your career journey too. It's, kind of, it's always kind of been an inspiration. Well, thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to say. I think um, what you said about me not getting anything out of the interaction, I think is actually a really important thing to talk about that relates to this podcast episode that I think the best people managers actually get a lot out of those interactions. And even when they're meeting with people that maybe they're imparting some wisdom that they've learned that the act of teaching actually brings that person a lot of value and um, and you can learn in the process. So let's dig into that a little bit more. I, I like that. But yeah, it's great. I think that 
for anyone out there, um, I get a lot of requests to meet with people that I may not know very well or maybe not know very well at all, but I try to take them all because I'm so grateful for the people that have helped me and I tend to make connections that I never thought I would make. So it's always worth it. So let's talk about you now. So you went into content marketing and then your career took off. Let's go back to the Derek right after college. And what did you first dive into in your career? Yeah, so I, I had a little bit of a messy uh, college journey. I uh, was a running start student, so I had I had that little jump as I was coming out of high school with already a year of college. I thought I was ahead of the game, uh, got my AA, went to go get my bachelor's in recreation management, of all things. And partway through, I was like, no, 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 I need to be a pastor. And so I dropped out of college and went and interned at a church, thought I was going to be a pastor. Uh, that went a whole different route. That's a, another story for a different day. I went back into uh, college to pursue business. Uh, and then over the course of the next two years or so, I managed to collect about 220 credits. And at the time, Eastern Washington was like, we got to get you out of here. Like, we got to get you into the <laughs> real world. Like, just, what can we do to get you out of here? And so they allowed me to, to combine all these credits together into just kind of a general studies degree with a capstone in leadership. And I was out in the real world without uh, clear direction or focus. Like, sometimes that college degree can point you in a certain direction. Here it was wide open, right? Uh, and, and so I remember getting home. I was still living with my parents at the time, like, just trying to figure out life. And I remember thinking to myself, what job do I want? I was like, the only thing I care about in this first job is I want to manage people. And again, I was really young, so I had no business necessarily doing that. Um, at the time, the job market was a lot a lot tighter than I think potentially it is now. Uh, but <clears throat> I just began to look and I was like, Craigslist was huge uh, then. I think Craigslist is still big, but there's other ways to get jobs now too. And so I just began to apply, apply, apply to any job that had any kind of management or supervision responsibilities of people. Uh, and I got one company to take a chance on me. And that was uh, Krista Ministries up in Shoreline, Washington. And they're a larger faith-based nonprofit, but they, the bulk of kind of what they focus on and, and really what, what the primary thing they were founded on was uh, senior housing, um, rehab care, health care. And so I found myself really young, probably 22, 23, um, all of a sudden managing a team of about, I think I started with about five employees in a healthcare setting uh, at a reception desk and working directly beside the executive director there. So that was that was my first my first job out of college. Wow, that's kind of incredible that you were able to set this vision. You wanted to manage people and then go out and do it. And did you feel prepared to be a people manager on that first day with all those people reporting to you? <laughs> oh man, it was bad. There's uh, all of all of my worst mistakes um, with managing people happened in the four and a half years that I was there. Um, I, the thing that was kind of my saving grace through that whole experience was that, again, I told you I worked really closely with the executive director. She was, she was that person, like you mentioned, the people that took a chance on you. Uh, she was that person for me where she was able to look past all of the rough edges, all the, like the major mistakes I would make in hiring or performance management. Um, and she could see into like the heart of who I was and how I just cared so deeply about developing potential uh, in others. And so she helped shape and guide that. So even though the work itself wasn't necessarily um, challenging or stimulating in those four and a half years, 
just being able to stay connected to her and getting her mentorship um, and being able to really uh, see and develop um, these people. There's a lot of a lot of younger folks. I, I had a few people on the older end of the spectrum as well, so it was a really nice range. Um, but yeah, that was that was absolutely one of the best experiences of of my career uh, until it was time to leave. You know how that goes. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Honestly, when I think back to people who want to go into people management, they usually do a role for a while. And then they think that just because they excel at their individual role, that next step would naturally be people management. And maybe it is, but people who are really great specialists at their role, that really has no indication of the type of manager that you're going to be. And so the way that you approached it of being super intentional about management rather than just saying, oh, I've got to this point in my career and I have to manage people actually might be a much better way to approach it. Yeah, you're definitely in the deep end right away. Like, whereas when you're that strong individual contributor, you almost approach it the other way, right? Like, I was good at this, I'm naturally going to be good at this. It's just a small transition. Uh, I just remember every day being like, I have no clue what I'm doing. Um, And and that kind of driving and, and fueling, well, I need it to be a really personal interaction then, right? Like, that's that was the thing for me is it was always like, well, what, where are you personally trying to get to in life? Most likely this job isn't your end all be all. So how can I at least do that while I'm learning how to be better at some of the, the technical aspects of, of management? So in those four and a half years, I, I grew from uh, this handful of receptionists to uh, by the end, I was managing 17 employees and wow. uh, spread out over uh, five departments because there were multiple wings and multiple sections. Um, there was a medical records department. There was the inventory. Uh, and so it was, a, it was just a big variety of, of tasks even. Um, but um, but it, was, it was a great experience. I can tell you if you want to hear about it, because I'm going to just throw out random stories. And then if you find them interesting, um, I think they're kind of fun. And it can help to, to break up some of the, the general advice here. Uh, but yeah. Okay, cool. So one, uh, you know, team building events, right. Or team building activities. Um, that's kind of a a popular thing. And so I remember one time I put together a team building activity for this team of, of 17. And it was an interesting dynamic because, uh, in the corporate world, it's not a big deal to leave your desk a lot of times. Like if we're just want, Hey, we're going to take a day together. Okay. Let's shut down the computers. Uh, but when you, when you're in like a retail or a service or a healthcare industry, uh, that becomes a lot harder. And so we had to do this massive coordination, people on the phones, people watching the, the patients and things like this, uh, to be able to get everybody out uh, of the office together. And so this was our one chance together as a team to really bond and really come around a unifying vision. And so- No pressure for you. <laughs> no, no pressure for me. And so here's what I did, is I actually uh, booked a tour with a local coffee roaster and my sister-in-law at the time happened to be working for them and she was, she was able to make this happen. So we brought, took everybody down to the coffee roasting plant and you could begin to see this process where they bring in the green beans and the sourcing and then they would go in and they'd have the blends and they would go into the big roasting machines and then you could watch as these beans begin to tra- be transformed, right? They would go from green to kind of a golden to a darker and there was a, a very specific moment when they would pull it off the heat uh, based on, on really specific criteria. 
And then we would watch them, how they were bagging this coffee and just the, the care and the dedication that went into every single aspect of this. And so we took these bags of coffee uh, after we had watched this whole process and we went down to uh, this little cafe and we were actually able as a team to stand around um, these espresso machines and take some of this coffee uh, that we had just watched this this huge process and now put the coffee into how we normally would consume it, right? You just see it in the hoppers or the bins at the cafe, the barista's handing you, handing you the drink. But here we actually got to see from the from the source all the way to, hey, we're grinding. A lot of people had never done this before. We're grinding it. We're putting it. We're tamping it. Uh, we're putting it in. We're pulling the shots. We're steaming the milk. So everybody's like learning this new skill and seeing the care and the dedication and the craft of service uh, in action, just in a different context, a different, a different format. And so we sat. We did all this thing. Everybody's just having a great time, right? Drinking a ton of coffee, and we sat around the table. And uh, this was the craziest part. <clears throat> so beforehand, because I was, I was like, like a little bit um, out there. Earlier in my career, I, I think I hold it in a little bit more now. Uh, I wrote a word, like just like a, a random word. Like one of them, this is the one I remember. It's the one we're going to talk about uh, was integrity. And then just a short description about integrity. <laughs> I sealed them in envelopes that were unmarked. So I had no idea. I just had, I had these 10 different words that were all sealed in envelopes. I had no, uh, no idea which one was which. And so we're done with the day and we're sitting around uh, these tables. And I'm like, hey, I, I have these words that I wrote out and I want to hand them to each of you. And I'm hoping that each one that I give is specific to you, even though I had no idea who, which one was going to which person. And so I shuffled up these cards and I handed them to each person. And they were like, how did you do this? Because uh, one after one after one, the word was like to a T uh, describing that person. And, um, and they were like, that's like a weird magic trick that you did. Um, and, and they and it allowed everybody to, to begin to compliment each of those people in these really personal words, like integrity. Um, mm. the craziest part of the story is that the person who got integrity, I found out a few weeks later that she was actually stealing, uh, supplies from the company. And I was oh like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, so anyways, that kind of stuff happens in life. Sometimes you're like, I don't really know how to explain that, but it ended up being a really powerful moment about, uh, the craft of service, um, and then recognizing everybody's individual strengths within that journey of service, right? Like not everybody was the same type of servant within the workplace, but everybody had their unique spin on it. And once we begin to recognize that and notice it and appreciate it and call it out in each other. And the team just began to to thrive, um, you know, so much more than it did. So that's that's my story. That's my takeaway. Hopefully, that was interesting. No, no, I love that. I think that it's really important to think about, especially the type of people you're managing and where they're coming from, and especially when you're managing, like you said, people who can't just step away from their desk. They can't have one on ones as easily with you that you have to really be creative and outside the box. But everyone still wants to be valued. That that doesn't change no matter how how you're approaching your work. Yeah. And there's a you know, there's a big um, topic at hand right now, you know, in the in the people development spaces, you know, when you're providing feedback to to folks or when you're doing performance management, is it my job as the manager to notice the weaknesses? And get them to round off those edges and so that they're more of like a, a well-rounded kind of even keel 
employee that's kind of a, a five out of 10, at least in, in everything? Or is it my job as the manager to notice those areas that they're naturally like an eight out of 10? And I work with them to get them to a nine out of 10, and knowing that getting to an eight to a nine is incredibly hard. And then getting them to spend as much time as possible doing those nine out of 10 uh, uh, tasks or putting those nine out of 10 traits to use in the workplace. And I'm gonna tell you like, the, again, the farther along in my career I get, the more I'm tending towards that ladder route. Let's spend less time focusing on rounding off these edges and more time in like recognizing what are those unique strengths and how can we put those to better use? Like when I talk about being a coach rather than a manager, we get that in sports, right? Like we get that each individual player has that one thing that they're the best at on the team. And so as the coach, it's not like trying to get that person to be better than someone else in this, this other task, uh, but it's about putting those pieces together in the way that best benefits the team so that they complement each other uh, and we get to better outcomes. I love that you said that because I think that especially when people are early in their career and the manager might have a big age gap, they yep. I, I see a little bit of a hazing practice where they focus on things like, I said they, I wanted them to be at their desk at eight o'clock and it's eight ten. and why are they late? Or um, this employee always wants to leave early to get to something and I just don't know if I can give her this flexible schedule. Like they're focusing on things that may not really matter and may point to more generational differences instead of actually focusing on, okay, I have this issue with this employee. I wouldn't do it this way, but gut checking yourself of, are they hitting their goals? Are they doing what they set out to do? Are they bringing something to the team? And of course, there are things that you need to give feedback on that might have a big impact of what they're delivering or if they're hitting their goals. But if it's more of just who they are as a person, we're not here to change people and we're not going to change people. Like I, I, And that's not our job. But I think how you described it as really focusing on somebody's strengths because that's what they're going to bring to their next job. And if, and some people don't know their strengths. And so if you can really focus on helping them figure that out, you're not going to only make them successful in your company. You're going to make them successful in any company. Yeah. And, and along those lines, I mean, the natural question there is, well, how do we figure out what people's strengths are? You know, it's like, okay, let's get practical about it. And and the tool I used back then, and I still think it's one of the best tools out there, is StrengthsFinder. And you may think that's corny, you know, because it's been around forever. Uh, but StrengthsFinder, what it does is it, it asks you to answer some of these questions. And I, I don't remember exactly how many strengths there are, uh, but you're only shown the top five results, right? And so even in the way that they display the results is focusing you on, hey, you, you have a little bit of good in all of these things, uh, but you have the most natural tendency to uh, good in these five. And so we ended up using that and, and showcasing it. We brought in a Catholic priest, actually, um, because they're StrengthsFinders coaches. And the one in our area happened to be a Catholic priest. And um, he came in and he like analyzed the results for us. And it's like, okay, you're these five. So they fit together this way. I bet you see these tendencies in that person, don't you? And people around the room are like, oh, that makes so much sense now. Um, 
And so a tool, a simple tool like that, which is the self-led assessment that you then could bring in a coach or you could walk through the results with your team in, in the next group meeting, that's a really easy way to get started with um, with strengths-based uh, leadership. Yeah, and I would recommend that any team, even if they don't use StrengthsFinder, use some type of team assessment, personality assessment. I've done a couple in my career, like the color wheel. And if anything, the things that illuminated it for me were not necessarily learning more about myself. You tend to know your own strengths, but when you find your teammate's strengths and things that you can play up or better understand why you might not think the same way, you change how you interact with the team in a really positive way. Yeah, because we, we have these perceptions, right? Like we... Uh, there's fancy bias names for all these things, which I don't know. Uh, but we have these perceptions, right? That when when, a, when we see another person's actions, we interpret it a certain way, right? Like that, that it's a character flaw. Like how could they do that? That's a real problem with them. Uh, and then in ourselves, we have these moments where we understand that context is everything, right? And so given the set of variables in the context I was in, I made this choice, right? It's not, a, it's not reflective of, of me as a person. It's just based off of the scenario that, that I was in. And so when you get to do some of these things, like you're talking about these assessments, it helps us to get past like, oh, that's a character flaw and more into the understanding of how people operate within, a, within the context of the situation they find themselves in. So I do want to fill in a couple gaps in your story because I think it's such an interesting journey. So you spent four years managing this team and then you hopped into more of a consulting role. So what did it feel like to leave? I mean, you are seem like such a natural leader and you're so passionate about it. How did it feel to leave that environment and focus more on like just being a one person business? Yes. And I'll fill in one other gap right before that, because I think it's, I think it relates to the theme of your, of your podcast here of like kind of these non-traditional ways to go about uh, getting to certain outcomes. And when I was in my, you know, my four and a half year career at the at the nursing home, I had the VP sit down with me one day and say, hey, if you put in your uh, your 20s and your 30s here, your 40s, 50s, and 60s are set. Like, if you just put in the time here, then you you are just set for life. Like, you're going to have the great job, the, the great title, the great salary. Uh, so put in your time. And, um, and so I remember, like, trying to take that advice, like, trying to apply it and being like, I just can't, though. Like, I feel myself kind of dying. And, um, and in this four and a half years, I was really focused on operations, but they had their director of marketing uh, quit partway through. And so they're like, hey, could somebody step in to begin to help us with marketing? And so I started to take a look at, back then it was a lot of printed collateral. And, and so I was like, I'd love to do this stuff. And so I started writing, I started playing around with, with publisher and different things like this. And they're like, hey, you're kind of good at that. And I was like, well, would you mind if I applied for the job? And they're like, yeah, we would love for you to apply for this opening. And so I went through the application process. I met with everybody and it got down to the end of the process. And they're like, I'm sorry, we can't hire you. And I was like, oh, okay, why not? And they're like, well, you don't have any marketing experience. And, and I was like, I know I've been here. Like I, <laughs> I've been here. I came here right out of college. I've, I've been a really faithful, really good. I'm, I've, I've been dedicated myself here. And they were like, I know, but we just can't risk giving this job to someone who doesn't have marketing experience. And so that was my kind of cue that, okay, it's probably time for me to begin looking. And um, and nobody would hire me that without any marketing experience. I, again, I did the whole apply for jobs thing. I was like, I don't care what it is. It just has to be marketing. And nobody would hire me. Nobody would hire me. And so I got to a certain point where I was like, I, I have to quit. Like I have to take that step because 
I have to go do marketing uh, and I don't know how to get there, but I know it's not here. And so my wife and I made an agreement together of like, hey, can we do this? Are you on board with this? Um, she had previously owned uh, just kind of a private, just her own cleaning business. And so I was like, would you be willing to, to do that to make income for us um, while, while I do this? And we had three kids at the time. And, um, and so she's like, absolutely, absolutely. So she went to working full time. I was a stay at home dad and I began to take on these uh, freelance uh, copywriting jobs. I began to write about like HVAC systems, um, t- just terrible, like terrible copywriting jobs, like 300 words for $25, like whatever, okay. <laughs> whatever you could do. Right. Because it was like, I need experience. I, I need to learn about this industry. I need a portfolio. Um, and no one else will hire me. And so that took six months of doing that. Okay? Six months of just that, that scenario before I was able to get an entry-level copywriting job with an, e- an e-commerce company. And, and that just kind of then went from there, right? Once you get that first job, it becomes easier to get that second job and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And eventually I worked into the agency world and absolutely loved um, agency because of the depth that we were allowed to think about the problem at hand. Um, I, I found that what my marketing was missing before the agency world was depth of customer understanding. Uh, I lacked an empathy. I lacked an ability to uh, really get beneath the surface uh, of what was going on in the person's life. Like what's the pain they're trying to avoid? What's the progress that they're seeking? What's that promised land? And the agency world taught me that. And um, man, there's so many stories I could go to from there, but I got to stay focused. And um uh, and so kind of uh, it, being in the second agency, then I was contacted by uh, someone who uh, helped to place contract workers uh, for Cisco's corporate social resp- responsibility team. And uh, that was kind of the, the door that opened for me to be able to get a really, really stable uh, contract role, uh, set up my own business. I ended up setting up uh, an S corporation and then take on uh, freelance work from there, all with kind of this, this safety blanket of just always knowing that I had the consistency of, of having that Cisco uh, corporate social responsibility uh, gig. So that's, that's how I got into the, into the consulting world. Was that your question originally or were you asking? No, no, okay. no, it is. And I actually think that what you were talking about with really needing to know your audience is so interesting because you have this passion around people management and now in your latest role at leader, which is a fairly new jump for you. I think we both jumped into new jobs around the same time, um, three or four months ago, you know, this audience probably better than any of the other companies that you've worked for. So tell me a little bit about how you jumped into this role. I know it was a pretty tough decision for you, but I'd love to hear about your decision-making process to get to where you are right now. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. And I promise to stay really focused this time. <clears throat> so um, I was, uh, so a part of doing the consulting, the contract work was this is considered the, the dream role, right? Which is uh, you're making great money, you're doing the work that you love, and you get to work full-time remote, right? That's, that's the thing that we're all kind of told, hey, that's, that's the dream, go for that. And so I, I had been able to get to that place. And doing that for, uh, it was just about three years, I began to notice a little bit of a void or a little bit of a lack. And and the way that you're talking about uh, me, Jory, makes me think that like maybe part of that was just like this natural um, passion or need to be around uh, people to develop them. Um, 
I don't know, maybe there's something to that. I'm going to think about that in my own time. Uh, but I mean, you are developing many children, so it's not like you're not developing people, but <laughs> that's true. That's what my wife tells me too. She's like, I was like, well, man, where, would, where did my management experience come from? And she's like, well, most of it came from this household. Like you figuring out how to become a parent, things like that, uh, which I think is true. So in, in, in consulting and, and having this kind of dream role, I begin to notice this, this void of like, man, I just miss, I miss being around people. I wonder if, I wonder if I need to have a little bit of a change. And so uh, at the same time, I was, I was contacted by uh, Krista Ministries, that the one employer I told you about, the one who wouldn't hire me uh, because they didn't have marketing experience. And they were like, hey, would you be, we're restructuring our, our corporate teams uh, to create a role called the Senior Director of uh, marketing and fundraising strategy, which was like, well, that's my sweet spot, right? And um, and they were like, would you consider applying for that? And so this was like this beautiful full circle moment of the company that wouldn't hire you because you didn't have the experience. You went out and got the experience, and now they're like, well, would you come back now that you have the experience? And and so I went. I interviewed with the team. I actually absolutely loved the team. Uh, there's, I just had such a, uh, kind of a, a nostalgia to be back on this campus. Uh, so everything seemed to be going in that direction. <clears throat> now, at the same time, I, um, had been supporting this little startup called leader, uh, for the last couple months. And I had done the, the, uh, early brand strategy. Uh, we were in the process of writing a book together. Uh, we were kind of redesigning the website, the early content strategy. I mean, we were, we were in the weeds of this stuff. And, and so I went to them and I, and I said, man, I think I need a singular focus right now because I've been a little bit divided. I feel like I need to get back into the office, I need to be around people. Um, and so I'm going to, I think I'm going to take this job. I think I'm going to take this Christian Ministries job. So I'm, I'm not going to be able to work with you guys anymore. And they were very early stage. Um, they, I mean, we're supposed to launch publicly in April or so. And so back then it was like, we're still six months, eight months away from launch. It's not that you necessarily need a full-time a VP of marketing uh, that early on. And, uh, and so they were like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Like, would you be willing to do five hours a week? Would you be willing to do one hour a week? And I was like, no, 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 I can't, I have to shut it all down. I got to focus on this. And they're like, okay, let's get back to you. I got to, I got to call the next day. And they're like, would you consider coming to work for us full time? And they said, we know that it's early, but we would rather be too early. Um, with you than to miss out on getting you because we know that if we don't do it now, it's going to be three to five years before you're looking again, it's going to be too late. And so it was this really interesting contrast of a company that wouldn't hire me because I didn't have the skills and it, it wasn't the right time to then wait until I'd had them to here was a company who was saying, we know it's not the right time, uh, but we want to invest in you. And so I, I really had to weigh those two things. It was an incredibly difficult career decision on top of why don't I just be content to work remote and keep the ideal setup, right? It was, it, yeah. we wrestled with this. We, we put it in front of the kids even. We brought the kids around the kitchen table and we're like, this is the situation. Uh, we want you to see behind the scenes of how we make decisions as a family. Um, for us, we're a faith-based family. So we're like, we're going to pray about this and, and we're going to show you that like, hey, success in life isn't about getting to some title or, or pursuing more money or having more comfort or having more freedom. Um, it's staying true to these values for you, right? For us, it's, it's Christian values. For other people, maybe different things. And I was like, I'm going to put all of this on the table and say, hey, God, you can you can take anything you want. 
Like you can tell me, go here, go there, whatever. And we're going to pray about this together. And so in that process as a family, we felt, okay, let's go take this, this job with leader. Um, even though it's a risk and it's a stretch and it, it, we lose some of our freedom. Uh, but I'm, again, I'm really happy that we did. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential. And like you said, it, it puts me back in, in kind of this area that I am, that I am really passionate about that I think I had kind of forgotten uh, the, the passion that I had for it. I know for me, especially as a marketer, and especially with marketing being so content driven, you can like the act of marketing, but a lot of times you're sitting thinking about these themes, about your product and what it's doing, and that's what's going to occupy your head. There's there's very little of your head that's saying, how do I optimize this Facebook ad, and much more around what kind of content am I going to put out in the world that will resonate with people. And so I personally don't think people think about that enough when they pick a job, but I think it's so important. Yep, I agree with you. So now you're at Leader, you're talking about people management. I'd love to talk a little bit, and I know we hit a couple stories before, but how do you feel that you approach people management a little bit different than the current norm? Are there a few lessons or a few, if you were going to talk about your management philosophy that is different? I'd, I'd love to hear what you would touch on. Yeah, that's... Oh, and we we did touch on on a, a little bit of it before. So it's it's really this strengths based focus. I think is a big piece of it. Uh, but um, on top of that, there's there's kind of four kind of I would say four things that I've written down that I would say that I approach leadership differently than maybe it's commonly done. And so the first one is coaching and mentoring uh, more than tasks and compliance. I think you had kind of hit on earlier of, hey, if the focus is on be at your desk at eight, put in these certain hours, have these amount of activities done in checkboxes, that's that's one style of management to try to like get the most out of your people. Uh, but really what, what I lean towards is that coaching and that mentoring and the development of where are you trying to get to? How can we go there together? And how can I put you in a position to best use your strengths? That's number one. Uh, number two is a consistency to weekly one-on-one meetings uh, rather than kind of one-off or project-based meetings as your only or primary interaction uh, with your employees. And so the weekly one-on-one is really nice because um, it's that time that the employee has your undivided attention. And when you take the project or the task list out of uh, the one-on-one agenda, or you at least put it down to the bottom of the agenda, and you focus more of that time on uh, their level of engagement, um, how they're feeling, are their strengths being best utilized, what are the barriers or blockers that they're experiencing, uh, some of those more personal questions that lend to the professional world. Uh, I think that that time becomes really powerful. I really like how you talked about one-on-ones. And one thing that I've always heard is that the employee should really drive the one-on-one, which in my experience, when that happens, they are much more powerful because it's less of me asking about projects and more them coming to the space with what they want to talk about. But not every employee is thinking that way. So when you're thinking, let's put the task to the bottom of the list, I really want to focus on development. How do you approach that? Do you have certain questions that you're asking or are you really putting it on the employee to use that time on those topics if that's what they're interested in? Yeah, this and this is an interesting kind of discussion, a little, a little bit of a debate, right? Who owns the who owns the one-on-one agenda? And the the kind of the common philosophy is what you articulated there of this is the employee's time so they should own it. Um, we did we did quite a few user or kind of just customer interviews 
uh, as we were doing our brand strategy. And so we picked up on, um, on one theme that I think is a generational theme, but it also speaks to the changing nature of the workplace of who owns an employee's development, like whose responsibility is that? And the traditional role of development has been, uh, it is that employee's uh, job, that individual's job to know what they want to be developed in, to direct it, to ask for it, and to figure out what the skills are and go out and get those. Uh, the manager's kind of, or the organization's kind of off to the side. Um, if they get asked for something, then they step in. And what we see from the, the changing nature of the workforce is that um, it's not just a generational thing, but that, that does add to it is that there's now uh, an expectation of a shared responsibility of development. And so, especially with a, a, a millennial uh, workforce, which now millennials make up 50% of the workforce as of this year, is there's this expectation of I'm walking into the one-on-one and we're gonna do this development thing together, right? I, I'm looking to learn, grow, and be developed here. And so I would say kind of, first of all, the way that I would approach the one-on-one is to keep that shared mindset, right? Uh, that uh, some employees are going to bring a lot of development questions, other ones are not. And so I may I may skew a little bit like uh, they're leading more on this one. And with another employee that doesn't necessarily know how to ask those questions, I'm going to step in to fill that space. Because the second thing we heard in interviews, and these this came out with the employee interviews, is uh, the, the strongest loyalty and the strongest connection that employees had to organizations was around one simple fact. Uh, and that was, does my manager and does this organization invest in me? And do I feel invested in? And when we heard that come up in interviews, then that person were, was likely to say, hey, my performance increased. I was more loyal. I didn't want to leave, things like that. And so the way that you spend time asking those questions can actually show um, a level of investment. And in terms of figuring out what those questions are. There's plenty of good resources out there to kind of like, you can even just Google like sample one-on-one questions. Uh, but there's also tools that are on the market. And this is one of the things leader does where it can actually suggest questions uh, based once you have the agenda open uh, based on either a personal or, or professional kind of bent, what are you trying to focus on? And then the tool will actually suggest those questions. Yeah. And I find that some of the the best questions you can ask are just people get so wrapped up in the task that they're doing and who they need to do with it and delivering it. But once you've done a big project to really reflect on, hey, how did you feel during that project? Did you learn? What did you learn during that project? What would you do differently? Or do you want to do something more things like this? Like just help them reflect in ways that when we're going, going, going to the next thing on our to-do list, we don't really take that time to pause and some of that reflection time can be so important for figuring out your strengths and what you actually enjoy doing. That's good. I'm glad you said that because my answer was really uh, ambiguous and ethereal. You brought it really practical. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So now we got number two. Now I'm going to let you go to number three. Uh, so number three is a big one because um, we all have experienced the annual performance review process and just how painful it is. Uh, whether you're the employee or the manager, nobody enjoys doing them. Uh, and there's statistics out there that show that just like maybe nobody finds value in these. They're not helpful for developing you. I know that they kind of we kind of do them in order to justify different like pay uh, or bonus conversations, but then that gets even more awkward 
because you're wanting to fight against a rating knowing that kind of part of your livelihood is at stake, right? Rather than having this safe, uh, vulnerable space to actually talk openly and candidly about areas for my growth or areas where I'm best utilizing my strength. And so uh, the third one here is moving from a, a once a year review process or even a quarterly review process to this idea of ongoing feedback. Now in practice, I'm still figuring out exactly uh, what this looks like. Um, and that's part of what we're trying to figure out actually with what we're building with Leader. Uh, but the idea that that the, the best feedback that we get is uh, should be timely, specific, uh, candid, and meaningful. It's some combination of those four things. And kind of that quarterly or annual review process, it, it's hard to make any of those four things happen uh, f- for varied reasons. It's really hard. And honestly, I think a lot of people are so scared of having direct conversations. But if you can start that process early on in your relationship with an employee, it just builds so much trust and so much openness that when you're sharing feedback, it just becomes a normal part of your interactions versus this big thing that can lead to huge emotions coming out and people not understanding each other. So I'm a really big fan of that. And one of my favorite resources for learning how to do that is Radical Candor. Um, It's a book by Kim Scott. It's also a great podcast too. Yeah, that's a good one. That's that definitely was one of the books that that is shaping uh, some of the product roadmap here, actually. Uh, So that's a great call out. All right, your last one. How about number four? Okay, so this one, um, this one's not as practical as the last one. So you may cut this one out, but I still like it. So um, here's my deal with with like investment and attention, right? Uh, when we go generic and broad with uh, the way we recognize people, the way we appreciate work, uh, it loses meaning, it loses significance. Uh, but the more uh, meaningful, the more personalized, the more individual, uh, almost like the smaller the detail of the thing that we notice uh, to recognize, to appreciate, and to celebrate, uh, the more impactful it is. So the fourth one is meaningful and personalized more than generic and broad. I love that. I think everyone's gotten those generic compliments of you're so great. That was so great. And it doesn't actually feel that that good. When <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure no, your kids and, feel that too. When you're like, you're such a good kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what specifically do you like about me, dad? You know, it's like, um, yeah, and I think that we've all experienced this too. With it's just something different when, when you have uh, a person who's like, man, I, I, you know, marketing, right? You know, content, you know, audience development. When you can get into the weeds of the details of somebody's job and say, I really like how you clarified the problem statement on that brief. It set us up for success through this whole project. Like, that's significant because that's that's now a detail of my job. Um, rather than you're really good on, on these projects, right? You just, you're such a great person to have on projects. That's like, well, what specifically do you like about that? And so, uh, again, it's like what we give attention to, what we recognize, what we celebrate is what people naturally gravitate to do more of, right? Cause we're just wired that way. Um, and so if, if, uh, if you're not recognizing those small things, don't be surprised then if people aren't excelling, uh, in the, the small details of their job. In addition to that, I would say that especially for people that have super specialized roles where the outcome might look great, like say it's an event, 
but very few people know how much goes into planning that event and all the small details. And so instead of just saying, you've had this great event to really acknowledge, like you went through every single detail and I admire how you were tracking everything on the spreadsheet and you didn't let design or deadlines slip. So I think acknowledging everything that went in when they may feel that people may not know what it takes to pull something off can be really powerful too. Okay, well, I have some uh, a few hard questions for you that I think um, would be a great place to end on. And let's start with what is the best advice you've ever gotten on people management? Could be from a mentor, could be from a book. Is there anything that really stands out as a piece of advice that you really refer back to? Yeah, and it's it's tied to probably one of my worst management mistakes ever. Um, one of the one of the early employees that I was that I was managing in that first the first role I told you about, uh, her and I got into to a conflict. It was it was something that built up uh, over the series of weeks and months, and eventually led to uh, the two of us sitting down together in the office of our executive director. So this was like a, kind of a mediation a mediation moment now. And, um, and in the process of that conversation, she was kind of sharing her frustrations and I was trying to listen and be sympathetic, but I was having a hard time doing it. And eventually I kind of just tried to pull the, well, you just have to do it because I'm the boss. Right. And, and so the conversation ended the, our executive director was able to help us resolve some of it. And so now it was just myself and, and the boss in the room and um, and I realized I had misspoke, right? I realized that I had done something wrong, but I didn't exactly know what it was. And she said to me, uh, some of the best advice I've ever gotten, which was, um, I know that, I know that you said something that you don't believe, um, in that, in that conversation. And she's like, I don't want you to ever forget that, uh, just because you're a boss, you don't automatically get respect, but respect is earned whether you have the title or not. And that kind of like shifted something big for me uh, because again, I'm a young manager. I'm like, you have to do what I say, right? I have, I have the title, I have the authority. But she reminded me, you know, to always take that, that lower position, right? To always take the position of humility um, and to earn the respect rather than to demand it. And, uh, and so that's just, yeah, that's always stuck with me. I think for people that aren't people managers that and want to be people managers, there's a way that you can just start acting like a leader and you can start helping people and supporting people before you actually have that title. So I think I think it can work both ways. And then my last um, question for you before we dive into some good resources for people is, do you feel like there's one way that you've really evolved as a manager today that was different 10 plus years ago when you were starting your first people management job? And probably a lot of different things, but if there's anything that really stands out, there's something that stands out. This is a, this is a theme of my life that has changed, um, and I, and it does change the way that I think about people development, people management too. Is is I found out that the world is not about me, Jory. I don't know if that is a shocker or a revelation, but um, <laughs> really, my my world used to revolve around around me, and I got to this to this big, um, big kind of repentance moment where I realized, man, there's a lot of just selfish motives, selfish ambitions that I had such a drive for, for a period of time to, to get to that career that I, that I knew that I wanted that nobody would hire me for. So that every interaction I had was, was about me getting to these certain places or me finally arriving somewhere. 
And without me even like consciously knowing it, like the relationships in my life were all selfishly motivated. And so going into um, people management conversations, as much as as much as the conversation was supposed to be about them, um, it ended up in always different ways, like being about me. And so I had to really come to terms with that, that it's not about me. It's about seeing other people go farther than I am able to go, right? Realizing that there is another generation that's being raised up, uh, that there's, there's a greater legacy than my story here. And if my greatest contribution to the world is to see somebody else take one small thing that I said, or one small interaction that we had, uh, or one small mistake that I made, and to take that and go and and evolve it and to go farther than I ever will go, uh, I had to come to terms with like, I am content with that. Um, and that's that's the biggest thing that's changed for me in my life. But but again, also it's carried over into the workplace. I'm not there to prove myself. I'm not there to earn uh, anything anymore. I'm not there to make the story about me. Uh, I'm there to see uh, somebody else go farther than I was able to go. Wow. I think that's so powerful. And I really think some of the best leaders out there are not afraid to hire people that are smarter and more experienced than them and know that they can still be a leader, but that they'll elevate the entire company and the entire organization if they bring in somebody that can do it better than them. And that would be like a dream come true for me is like you hire such a team that all of a sudden like the company's thriving. And I'm like, I can actually just like slowly back out of the room at this point. You know, like they're not even really going to notice I'm gone, but look at what they're able to accomplish together. That frees me up now to be able to say like, hey, where where then can I go contribute in a different way, in a different place? Because my identity, my, my ego is not caught up, caught up in this one certain thing anymore. It's just, man, I just, I love seeing people go, go farther. That's such a good thing um, to think about. So um, I know Leader probably has some amazing resources for new or seasoned managers, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But are there any other favorite resources that you have, especially as you've dug into this customer and user research? Yeah, well, the one book that I'm loving right now, which I do think is a must read for anybody that is serious about changing the way you think about people development, is called Nine Lies About Work. And so this is Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall. And they confront these ideas. Some of the ones that we talked about today, they just confront these ideas that we take for granted. Um, and they really break them down. There's a lot of research into it. They have, they've done a lot of their own testing. And then they don't just tell you the lies that are wrong. They actually tell you, hey, you can replace that lie with this truth. And, uh, and so that one's been transformational for me. Wow. I've never heard of that. Now I have to go read it. So thank you. Um, how can people find out about you and Leader? so that they can um, follow up as you guys grow. Yeah, so LinkedIn, LinkedIn is really the platform where I spend the most time. So you can just search for my name uh, on LinkedIn and uh, Leader is there as well. Uh, leader without the E, L-E-A-D-R.com is the website. And that's where we put all of, uh, all of the new blog content. We do have um, a new hands-on guide for new managers uh, that just released yesterday. So it's about 4,500 words. Uh, so it's pretty in-depth uh, coverage of the topic. Uh, but we, yeah, we publish stuff like that uh, maybe about uh, twice a month right now. Wow. Well, thank you so much. It was so fun to talk to you today and have us come full circle from some of those initial conversations about marketing. And I learned so much as well. So thank you for being so open and vulnerable. Yeah, thanks, Jory. This was really fun.